Welcome back to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast about the MBL1 East competition for 2023. Join us as we preview, review and interview our way through MBL1 East and hopefully we can uh, chop up some interviews as well today as we come back from a two-week break, which was totally my bad. Uh, you can blame COVID for the first week, and I already had a holiday booked the second week, so uh, that was unavoidable. But uh, when I say my bad, it's me, Jacinta, from Central Coast Crusaders. And don't worry, I definitely have my partner in crime in tow, Lockie France. You know him as the voice from Sutherland Sharks and now the part-time voice of the Sydney Comets. Lockie, we are back. I'm good. I'm doing great, Squint. It's great to have you back. Uh, glad to see you're over the COVID and back and digesting everything MBL One East. Yeah, slowly digesting. Uh, I would say that having two weeks off from covering the MBL One East is like almost a lifetime. It's almost like when you're a basketball player in season and you have to like not go to training for two weeks and it feels so foreign when you come back and two weeks on paper isn't that long. But when you're so ingrained in something, sometimes it uh, feels like a lifetime. So it's going to take me a little while to get back in my groove, I think. I'm sure you will hit the ground running. You know, get get the headphones back on it up at Terrigal and you'll be flying in no time. But it seems like you've been pretty busy in MBL One East in the last two weeks and it looks like the competition uh, has still been just as exciting. Certainly has. Um Certainly very tight on the men's side. Uh, I think there's probably still 11 or 12 teams still in the hunt for playoff spots. So very good to see. And the women's isn't far behind. I think that's the perfect segue, actually, to get started into our results. So we've just finished off round 10 in MBL 1 East for 2023, just over halfway for the season. So, Lockie, how about you start us off with going through uh, the men's results and the men's ladder as it stands uh, today as we record. I certainly can do that. Big round, as we mentioned, 13 games in all. It was kicked off with uh, the Centre of Excellence coming up to Hornsby and getting a 104-54 to win over the Spiders, who were without Sharif Saipaya on Saturday. Newcastle Falcons got a win in a tight one against the Bankstown Bruins, 66-62, as Miles Cherry racked up a 20 and 20 game, or 27 and 20 game, actually. Uh, North defeated the Central Coast Crusaders 89 78. Sutherland came back in the fourth quarter on their home patch to defeat Hills 95 88 in a battle of teams that were 7 and 4 at the time. The Canberra Gunners showed why they are defending champions with a big 99 73 win over the high flying Inner West Bulls. The Illawarra Hawks, still without Dave O'Hickey and Waxy Walker, knocked off Comets 77-55. Maitland Mustangs got a 91-80 win over Albury Wodonga as the boys from the West, Matt Gray and Cranston, Will Cranston-Leon, combined for 45 of those 91 points. Manly eked out an 81-69 win over Penrith. And then moving to Sunday, Will Cranston-Leon with the buzzer beater to get Maitland over the line against Hornsby, 81-79. Those spiders just can't buy a win. Bankstown, also with a narrow win, 68-65, 
as uh, Mitch Evans game tying three with four seconds left for Manly just fell short. Center of excellence in a high scoring one over Illawarra, 106 to 100. As Illawarra stormed home but couldn't quite finish the comeback in the fourth quarter. Newcastle was Miles Cherry racking up another big double double in a 95 76 win over Albury Wodonga. And rounding things out on Sunday, Sutherland with a second fourth quarter comeback of the week, winning 86 77 over Comets to go 2 0 on a weekend where even I probably would have been happy to see them go 1 1 because that was a very tough week for them coming up against Hills and Comets. But if we move to the ladder, it is three teams, center of excellence, inner west and north, starting to you know, take a real stranglehold in those top three spots. They've all got center of excellence with just the one loss and inner west and north with just two. Then Sutherland a bit on an island at nine and four in fourth. And then Newcastle, Canberra and Hills all with seven wins. And then eight through 11th, Comets, Illawarra, Maitland, and Aubrey Wodonga, all with six wins. And then at Central Coast, Bankstown, Penrith, Manly, and Hornsby just falling off the pace, all with three wins or fewer, as every team now has played at least 50% of their games, with everyone racking up at least their 11th game this weekend. So plenty to play for in that mid-table. 11 teams don't make the playoffs, so... Plenty to fight for. Yeah, and we're still trying to figure out slash debate whether it's top six or top eight that go through to finals this year because we've heard both uh, scenarios being thrown around. Um, so if anyone else out there knows for sure if it's top six or top eight that go through to finals this year, please send us a DM on the Scott Game Instagram account because we would love to know because I think that's going to make a massive difference, Lockie. Like we did an uh, episode earlier in this season with Reese Kay, uh, former Canberra Gunner himself, about what's going on with the uh, the defending champions. But uh, looking at if you were to take top eight right now, they're um, looking pretty healthy to, to make it. I think they're sitting at six, aren't they? Uh, yeah, so e- or equal fifth with Newcastle at seven and four. We'll see how the uh, tiebreakers all play out once everyone's Played their full complement of games. And, yeah, Hill's just, what, half a game behind at seven and five. Yeah, so it looks like Canberra and Hill's really um, starting to gel at the right time. Hill's also having a false start to this season a little bit, but it's all coming together for them. And I think they've overtaken some heavyweights like uh, Maitland and Comets on the ladder as well now. They have. Well, coming into that game against um, Sutherland, Hill started 0-4 and, and then had racked up seven wins on the trot. So they'd been flying up the table over the last few weeks and seven or eight minutes to play on Saturday night. They were looking all right for their eighth win on the trot. Yeah, good to see. It certainly makes the competition exciting and uh, that's why we love to stick around NBL 1 East. Uh, but I'm now going to take you through the results for the women's round for round 10. So kicking off with Bankstown hosting Newcastle. Uh, Newcastle winning that one 86 to 66. Going into the nation's capital, Canberra Nationals hosted the Inner West Bulls and won that one 89 to 60. Hornsby Karingai Spiders hosted the COE and they lost that one 65-99. Illawarra Hawks hosted the Sydney Comets and it had a 12-point loss 
uh, 70 to 82 going in favour of Comets. So not a bad effort from Illawarra, who are also showing some improvement this season. Maitland Mustangs hosted the Albury Wodonga Bandits, and that was a very tight race uh, up at Maitland. Maitland losing 63 to 68. So the Bandits getting a much-needed win. Penrith Panthers were 61 against the very strong Manly Warringah Seagulls, 114. North Bears had the Central Coast uh, at home with a convincing win, 107 to 63. Sutherland Sharks with a 40-point win over Hills Hornets, which saw Loz Nicholson get a triple-double in that game. Sutherland Sharks winning 83 to 43. Bankstown had another home game. And they this time had to host Manly Warringah, so pretty tough double for them with two of the two of the three top teams. Bankstown losing fifty-seven to seventy-one. Illawarra had another home game. Uh, this time they hosted the Centre of Excellence, but going down sixty-three ninety-one. Newcastle back at home in the same weekend, this time against the Bandits, and they won eighty points to sixty-six. Then Sutherland Sharks as well at home this time against a very Strong Sydney Comets side, and they just lost that one 85 to 91. And to finish off round 10, uh, Hornsby Karingai Spiders hosted Maitland Mustangs, and they went down 48 to 90 points. So lots of teams having double headers, as we said before, and lots of teams having double headers at home, which is always helpful. But if we now take a look at the women's ladder after round 10, it looks like Manly has still cemented their, their place as the top of the table with a 12-1 record. Newcastle not too far behind in second place with a 10-1 record. So they've only played, they've played two less games than Manly. So I feel like that obviously makes a difference on the ladder. COE in third spot, Sydney Comets in fourth spot with both of those two teams are on 10-2. and two. The Norse Bears are climbing their way up the ladder in fifth spot with a 9-2 and two record. Sutherland Sharks certainly finding uh, their rhythm as well, taking off sixth spot with 8-5. and five. Then we've got Maitland in seventh spot and Aubrey Wodonga in eighth spot with 7-5 and five and 7-6 and six respectively. So as we were talking about before, Lockie, whether it's the top six or the top eight is going to be super important. I'm sure that the Aubrey Wodonga bandits are going to be hopefully trying to find their way to sixth spot to make sure that they make the finals again this season. They certainly are. And having uh, picked up a big signing in Michaela Pivik, they certainly are, you know, nailing their nailing their colours to the mast in terms of their intentions. Yeah, and she was able to uh, certainly show off a lot of her talents, especially in that Newcastle game, which we'll get into a little bit later. But uh, Lockie... You know, we've had a bit of a break from the podcast, so we've got a lot of catching up to do. So both of us, we watched a couple of different games this weekend to cover for this week's episode. And uh, so the first game that you covered, uh, you were responsible for the men's this week. You had Sutherland and Hills. Talk us through that one. I certainly did have Sutherland and Hills, and this was probably a game I would have picked even if I wasn't very conveniently commentating on it because with both teams sitting at 7-4 and four and just a edge behind um, that top, top echelon of teams. It uh, could have been a, could be a really crucial game and it was really tight in the end. Um, early in the game, we made mention that everything, it just looked a little labored. It almost looked at, like everyone was running at 
75, 80% uh, until the first dub started entering the game and providing a bit of energy. Because I think it was about nine all after five minutes and then the first quarter ended 25, 23. So went from zero to 100 like that. But both teams were missing players. So Hills ran with just nine in the on the squad. And one of those was um, Saxon Orsini, who actually made his NBL one debut. Uh, but fortunately for Hills, all five of their leading scorers were there. Whilst for Sutherland, uh, no Aaron Waban and no Brandon Bates on this occasion. So a short, a backup for Lockie Hutchison and a backup for Jeff Gerlach in terms of Sutherland. But... Sutherland uh, won the points in the paint battle 52-42, which is actually, for Hills, outdid their season average. Uh, Was right on Sutherland's average. They do lead the league in points in the paint, and of course they do. They've got, I mean, I would say all five of their starters prefer to score in the paint. Hutchison, Cabrera, Mitchell, Beasley, and Gerlach all prefer to score either drive to the basket or they're either in the paint in Gerlach's, in Gerlach's case. But I do want to shout out Orsini because he had four fouls in seven minutes, but he was a real spark out there. Um, he got a steal. I don't think he got the steal, but he um, picked up the deflection that would be counted as the steal to get the layup to end the first quarter. And, uh, probably just a little bit of misplaced debutante energy on defense more than anything, but on offense, he was a real spark for them, which was very nice to see. And here's a stat for you. Bench points, 27 to three in Hill's advantage. Wow. That's massive. 27 to three. So it was, uh, I think Lockie Charlton had 13. uh, He coming off the bench. Uh, sorry, 12, and then Orsini had five, Marv Fidel had six, and Josh Carley had four. But I talked to Pat Williamson on the Sunday just to ask him before the Commerce game how the boys were backing up. And he said as much that uh, Sutherland starters all played in excess of 30 minutes, and they all scored at least 13 points, obviously, because they scored the starters scored 92 of the 95. And Pat Williamson was just saying that no one on the bench could really get into a scoring rhythm. Um, you know, uh, Callum Norris hit one three in his 14 minutes, had a couple of assists. That were the only bench points. Nick Fang was good on defense, but, uh, they needed people who could put the ball in the hole and the five starters were the only people actually doing it with any regularity. And I guess that, that kind of showed in that Sutherland, once Hills got a lead in the second quarter, it would get out to eight. 10, maybe 12 points, and Sutherland would get it back to five or six. But then Hills would go again, and they'd get it back, and they'd go again. And these games always go one of two ways. Either the elastic band just snaps, and eventually the lead goes from 12 to 20, 25, and the game's done. Or you get it back, you finally get the lead, and suddenly you're the ones with the momentum, and the opposition who's had the lead all night suddenly has to change their energy. And that is what happened for Sutherland. They finally got the lead. They had the momentum. Suddenly it's Hills who have to go from, you know, maintaining an advantage to their suddenly in comeback mode, or at least stick with Sutherland mode. And Sutherland were able to finally in the fourth quarter, actually stick a lead and maintain it throughout the uh, rest of the fourth quarter. 
they'll also be very buoyed by the fact that for a team that shot 22% from three-point range coming in, they shot 35% from three. And, of course, with Angus Lake and Callum Norris, who would usually be their shooters, not knocking them down, it was actually Adrian Cabrera hitting three of five from deep, which will be, you know, if they've got that extra weapon in their armory, that'll be very, very nice for them going forward. But Hills, four starters in double figures. Uh, Liam Moss, big energy as always, 17 points, three rebounds, four assists and five steals. And I think probably Lockie Hutchison was best performed for Sutherland. Um, 11 of 15 at the line. The guy, he just, the ball just wouldn't go in the basket. So many, so many two-shot attempts at the line and very few and ones. And... But he wrote it out uh, and ended up with 22, 7, and 5. Uh, even when things weren't going right for him, uh, it was one moment. He had some, I don't remember the exact moment, but he pulled up his jersey and just screamed into his jersey. It just was like the emotional relief. And from then, he was just dialed in and just back to, back to being Lockie Hutchison, really. Just needed a bit of a moment to uh, regulate his emotions, it sounds like. He certainly did. And you can't blame me. He was just, he'd go up and shots that you'd see fall for him most of the time, even with the foul. But, I mean, credit to Hills. They made him made him earn them at the line, but he did. I mean, he finished with seven turnovers, but he did also have 22 points and five assists and seven rebounds. So, yeah, it's, it was definitely a... Uh, I don't want to say a game of two halves, maybe a game of three quarters and then the fourth quarter more than anything. Sounds like two kind of almost totally different games if you were to watch them separately. Oh, it's two totally different games on I mean, separate the, the fourth quarter was 26 to 12 in Sutherland's advantage. So, yeah, it was um, 76-69 through three quarters. Really high scoring. It was 59-48 at halftime. So, yeah, as it... As the scoring slowed down, um, it started to uh, swing back in in Sutherland's advantage. I mean, they scored less in the first in the second half than they did in the first, and still managed to uh, reel Hills in. And speaking of high scoring, you also covered a game that happened just down the road in Wollongong, which was the Illawarra Hawks hosting the COE. Yeah, so looks like a. A huge game. It, yeah, so I, I I picked this one because um, I actually picked this one after it happened. I went back and rewatched it because after the game, we were talking after the Sutherland Comets game about the Sutherland COE game. And when Sutherland scored 99 against COE, and apparently, as you would expect, Robbie McKinlay was absolutely ropeable that despite the fact that COE scored 121 against Sutherland, they gave up 99 points. And again here, COE, yes, they scored 106, but they gave up 100 points again. Uh, and again, I'm pretty sure Robbie McKinlay would not be happy at all with his team you know, cough, coughing up triple figures to a Illawarra team with no Lucas Walker and still no Dave O'Hickey. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Two two of the main scorers, uh, firepower from the Hawks, were missing from that game, and yet they still scored 100 points. They certainly did, thanks in large part to Timmy Conrad 
Uh, 35 points, nine rebounds, five assists, uh, shot 10 of 19 from the field and 13 of 14 at the line and scoring in all manner of ways. Uh, only two of seven from three, but knocked down a couple. Uh, you know, shooting mid-ranges, turnarounds, getting to the rack, uh, just winding back the clock, Timmy. And I feel like it's interesting you said it's a game that you watched only on reflection of what was available because these are the two teams that we have each picked to take out the championship this season. So I thought that perhaps would have attracted you straight away. Well, I wanted to get my options open, especially though I knew I had a very busy weekend um, commentating on Saturday and Sunday. So I didn't want to uh, lock something in and then go and watch that and uh, have it turn bad. So I, I made sure that, yeah, I mean, obviously this was going to be one of the best games because uh, not only did Tim Conrad drop 35, Ben Henshaw wasn't far behind with 34.6 rebounds, seven assists and three steals of his own. But um, interestingly, no one had more than 11 apart from him. So Alex Tui, Jacob Perphy and Julius Halifanua all had 11 uh, for COE, but uh, definitely led by future Perth Wildcat. Well, I guess we can call him current Perth Wildcat. He has signed uh, Ben Henshaw. Yeah. So it was really a game of uh, NBL uh, greats of old and uh, emerging NBL stars, like, you know, in Tim Conrad and Ben Henshaw, respectively. Certainly. Yeah, certainly was. Yeah. Um, You know, other players chipping in, you know, Phil DePod, Noah Pagotto, Freddie Webb, Sam Giles chipping in with double figures for Illawarra. But yeah, definitely a game of the... uh, Two stars, but uh, got to make mention of Freddie Webb um, and Ethan Lodato. And I mean, Tim Conrad had five assists. So uh, Illawarra finished with 22 assists on 35 made field goals. And maybe it's confirmation bias, but it felt like a lot of them were giving up good looks for great looks, not just the pass being the only option. It's ones where you could have shot, but you've got a better shooter there to take the shot. So just looked like really selfless play at times. Um, conversely, COE only 14 assists on 32 makes. Um, Henshaw dishing out seven of, seven of those. So certainly knows when to uh, give it up to a teammate if you can drop seven assists whilst also contributing 34 points. Yeah, so he's, we're all super excited to uh, see his debut in the NBL and it's great that he's sticking around to play NBL and he's not playing college I think definitely and I, I hear, have heard that he, he wants to stick around for the rest of the NBL one season and you know ride out the, the entire campaign for the uh, COE so hopefully that's true and hopefully he can uh, do so yeah uh, we know that uh, COE in both men's and women's will have graduates during this year I think they've already had some graduation ceremonies I know in the Women's squad, there's been the likes of Jess Petrie, who graduated um, alongside, I think, I think Summer Hansen, maybe? Yeah, well, they both go to college this year, so, yeah, yeah. that would make sense, yes. And then there was a third athlete as well, and mm-hmm. if we're not remembering, <laughs> my brain to remember. But I know that Opal Bird has now been added to the roster, which is awesome, another New South Wales athlete. But, yeah, yeah those roster changes with both COE, uh, yeah, like you said, it'd be great if um, some of their stars who are ready to graduate and move on to the next thing will stick around until the end of the NBL 1E season. Yeah, I just also want to make mention, um, new addition to the men's team, Kai Savage came off the bench and knocked down a couple of threes and was three or four at the line, finished with nine points. So tidy start for him. But 
Illawarra, they came back from, they were 17 down with three minutes to play and got it within four in the final 10 seconds before COE scored the final basket. But for them, moral victories don't do a lot at the moment. They're six and six, and their next four games are Inner West and Newcastle at home before they travel to Canberra, who just knocked off Inner West, and then they have to uh, host Sutherland. So six and six with a tough run in front of them before they get three games against Bankstown, Penrith and Maitland, who are all currently below them on the standings. So so they've put themselves in a little bit of a tough spot, have the Hawks. Uh, If they can... If they can ride this next four-game stretch out well, they'll be in good shape. And if they don't, could be a very, very tough, tough run into the finals for them. And COE have three games next round as well because they've still got to make up for the game against the Gunners that they missed a few weeks ago due to health and safety protocols. So they've got uh, Crusaders, Comets and Gunners all next week. So, yeah, it's, it's, I mean... Central Coast are a little bit down the table, but when you've got oh, three yeah. three yeah. games, when you've got, I mean, when you've got three games, you can't really, you know, they're going to catch up with you, even even if you're as young and sprightly as those COE players are. Um, but I, I mean, they all they all have plenty of experience playing carnival style at uh, under 16, 18, and twenties nationals and world junior world cups. So I'm sure they'll be able to push through it. That's right. Their bodies are already prepped for that heavy workload. Um, But uh, for me, I covered some women's games for round 10. And the first one I looked at was the game of the week between the Falcons and the Bandits. Uh, And this one was really, really great game to watch. It was definitely worthy of the game of the week title. Um, I'm pretty sure it was game of the week this week, right? Falcons-Bandits? Yes. Yes, it was was the KO game. Um, yeah, certainly a worthy matchup in both men's and women's, but I only managed to catch the women's game. Um, and it was really exciting because the Bandits have added Michaela uh, Pivich to their lineup, who you'll get to talk about a little bit later in our news and gossip section of the episode because you're all over that. Um, I did love how you tweeted Lockie when her name was added to the list and you're like, hey, is she coming to play? Someone give me some information on this. And, you know, speaking with uh, our contact at Albury Wodonga Bandits, they couldn't confirm your tweet at the time because it hadn't been officially announced by the club. So that's why you probably didn't get any love back in the Twitter sphere. That's, that's fine. I, I accept that. I know, how the, I know how this world works. I've been around a while. Yes, I've been around a couple of times. Um, so, yes, some really great matchups in this game. Nicole Munger and Pivich. Oh, very similar players, very similar skill set. Pivic looked like she'd been playing all season. She was very comfortable with the style of game and her role in the Bandits team, so that was really nice to watch. Uh, also, Curtin and Hannon was a really nice matchup, and sometimes Curtin and Pivic as well, also a really nice matchup. Uh, Aubrey was very, uh, very much in control of this game from the start. They tended to look inside very early to Pivic, Mahardy and Hannon all taking turns. Um, obviously a strong focus in their half-court offense to get the ball inside. What was interesting is that Newcastle were in a 2-3 zone for a first part of the game initially. Um, and that, that meant that the likes of Hannon was able to pin that middle defender quite easily under the basket. And surprisingly, Newcastle didn't try and front the post. They actually tried to, they just kept playing behind, which I thought was weird. 
because uh, it just meant that Aubrey had a lot of easier deep catches and scoring opportunities or opportunities to get to the free throw line. Um, but it still kind of worked in Newcastle's favour. Sometimes Aubrey, we're getting called for three seconds or travels or things like that. So kind of went either way. Aubrey also switched into a 2-3 zone early in the first quarter, which had a pretty good effect. Um, early on, and I think that's probably what contributed to their early lead in this game. Um, but ultimately, the game as a whole, Aubrey had a lot of offensive rebounds, which uh, Coach McLean was getting quite upset with, understandably, throughout the game. But Newcastle looked their best when they were playing with up-tempo on offense. Um, their ball movement and execution in the half-court offense, like they're just so disciplined. And uh, certainly buying into Coach McLean's systems on offense. So they look really, really good when they move the ball at pace. Um, and for Aubrey, I think it all just kind of felt, started to fall apart a little bit when Newcastle extended their defense quite far out and uh, starting to deny some of their post catches. And then the offense started to fall apart a little bit for Aubrey. They were relying a lot on three point shots that just weren't going in, unfortunately. And it, made them a little bit disorganised uh, going into halftime. I'm not too sure if Aubrey were able to recuperate from that, but still a very entertaining contest. Lots of talent kind of makes me take another closer look at Ashley Hannon and think I'm sure that given her skill set and her size and her length, there may be some WNBL clubs that are probably interested in having her at least as a squad member. Um, so would love to see her on a roster. I might start uh, building up some hype on socials so some pairs of eyes get on her. Um, but I'll just quickly go through some outstanding statistics for this game. What was interesting is uh, Makia Gray, she had four, I think she had, sorry, three fouls uh, with six minutes to go in the second. So that limited a lot of her opportunities. But she managed to stay on the court for the game, which is great. She didn't get any more fouls after that. And she finished the game with 21 points, six rebounds, six assists, and two steals. So she's also someone who's starting to feel very comfortable uh, in NBL 1 East as well. Uh, Kingham uh, had a great game too, 19 points, four rebounds. Uh, Abigail Curtin, 14 points, six rebounds. And Munger with the classic double-double that she always provides, 15 points, 13 rebounds, and seven assists. So she almost had her first triple-double. Um, on the Aubrey side, Emma Mahardy ended up putting the team on her back with 27 points and five rebounds. She was supported by uh, Pivic with 18 points, eight rebounds, and Hannon with nine and 11. So, so yeah, still a really, really good matchup. Um, yeah, like I said, even though I said it kind of started to fall apart a little bit for Aubrey in the second quarter, they still won that second quarter 17 to 11. But I think it was the momentum shift as it started to derail going into halftime. Newcastle were able to take that momentum into the second half and they ended up winning the third quarter 25 uh, to 16 and the fourth quarter 26 to 13. So it really started to turn around in the second. Um, I think in terms of other statistics that kind of stood out, nothing too big. I mean, points in the paint. 32 to 26 in favour of Newcastle. I'm not too surprised about because both teams did have a little bit more of a focus in getting the ball inside. And we know that between the likes of Curtin and Munger, there's going to be a lot of great shots coming in from the paint. Um, and I just want to double check the offensive rebound count. Um, 
it was, yeah, 17 to Albury, Wodonga, and 10 to Newcastle. So, you know, still giving up 10 offensive rebounds is still a pretty, you know, you don't want to be giving up that much. But giving up 17, uh, yeah, that was certainly um, working well for Albury at that stage. But uh, otherwise, um, lots of good things uh, from Albury, especially, you know, adding Pivic to the lineup. Uh, I can uh, no Molly Rice either. I think she's still injured, unfortunately. But now that Pivage is in the lineup, I can see Aubrey's probably starting to um, probably make a sprint for that sixth position. It's going to be tough for them though because they've got the Comets in the next round, um, and in the following round they've got the COE. So they've got a couple of couple of tough games at home uh, to try and cement their spot in the top six. I just also noticed that um, Newcastle, no Emily Foy, no Kelly McLean, and no Rachel McGuinnesskin. So did it with mm. just seven players and uh, Ralph and Kleeman only, you know, 10 to 15 minutes apiece. So uh, doing it with a short roster. And Ebsery has been absent as well. So I'm not too sure if she is injured because she's been absent a few rounds now. So I'm not sure if she's injured or if she's just decided not to continue playing. I also noticed uh, Keely McLean hasn't played for a few weeks. Um, the commentary team at Newcastle said during this Bandits game that Emily Foy was being rested due, due to a hamstring injury. Um, and McGinniskin as well has also been absent. She didn't play recently when Newcastle came to play Crusaders in Terrigal, so um, perhaps she's also injured, unfortunately. Yeah, a bit of a... Injury cloud at Newcastle, unfortunately, but also got a shout out Abby Curtin, who actually came on and guest commentated with Jake Hilton and myself for the Sutherland Hills game, women's game on Saturday. She was, uh, after playing Bankstown, she uh, came over to watch her sister Kelsey play and I managed to rope her into be part of the commentary team. So thank you very much for that, Abby. Excellent, Abby. Maybe perhaps a future avenue for when uh, when you decide to hang up your boots, but not, hopefully you won't be hanging up your boots too soon. Hopefully not. Uh, and the second game that I decided to cover was Bankstown Bruins and the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles, purely because I don't think we've really covered a lot of either of these teams so far in our East Scott Game podcast this season. Um, so we've talked about in previous episodes as well how uh, the Manly Warringah Seagulls women's team has shown some struggles against a 2-3 zone earlier in the season. So um, interestingly, the Bruins started out this game in a 2-3 zone, uh, but it looks like Manly has certainly came more prepared with Alex Delaney hitting two long bombs quite early. And it looks like Manly uh, still a very good transition team, so that was certainly their focus this game. But their ball movement and their using of use of the high post against the zone has really improved a lot um, since the first couple of rounds of the season. So they ended up having an 11-0 start to this game. Understandably, Bruins having to call an early timeout to kind of stop the bleeding. Um, and they also did a really good job of uh, doubling down on Morrow. So after that early timeout in the first then Bruins changed up some of their half-court offensive sets and started to get a little bit of more flow going in the offensive uh, end. Um, and then by then uh, they changed back to man-to-man as well. Um, 
But overall, I mean, Wright and Morrow for the Bankstown Bruins were really limited. Uh, it was really nice to see that they tried to work together in a high post, low post kind of action with uh, Brittany Wright in the high post and uh, Capri Morrow in the low post. Um, but Manly did a really good job of doubling down on Morrow in the low post. So she had a lot of limited touches. She was forced to take uh, a lot more outside shots than perhaps she would like, but she was zero from 10 from the three-point line. So not a very good shooting out outing for uh, Cappy in that game. Um, but it looked like the Bruins also struggled, struggled a lot with their defensive transition all game. And coming up against a team like Manly, who was so deadly, on offensive transition, uh, they mainly very well exploited that and, um, yeah, came away with a pretty pretty cruisy win in the end. Yeah, I just also noticed um, looks like Gracie Lee is back from college for Manly Warringah, so another handy uh, option off the bench to add to the rotation. It's not like Manly need more handy options off the bench, but they've got one. Yeah, <laughs> it is nice to see Gracie Lee back, actually. Um, I remember coaching against her in 18s and she was a really, really great player to watch and obviously you don't want to coach against her because of her talents, but it's. Um, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of college kids coming back now. Like I saw on someone's Instagram story that Kyra Evans is back in Newcastle. She was suited up in a Newcastle Falcons training singlet, but I'm not too sure if she's allowed to play. No, D- D1 players aren't allowed to play in the off-season, but D- NCAA D2 players are. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's good. So that's yeah. handy. So yeah. that kind of helps me figure out then who is playing D2 and who's playing D1 without asking because <laughs> Crusaders have also got Eli Taylor Back in the men's side, he suited up for Youth League um, last weekend. So I'm not too sure if he'll be able to suit up for NBL 1 or if he's got any interest in so. But I guess watch this space for all the college kids coming back. Um, and then we'll also have to keep an eye out for all the college kids due to go leave again, whether they'll be able to play NBL 1 East Finals or not. Yes, that is something that has been... Caused some problems for teams last year, especially for Sutherland more in Youth League. Um, so, so I think Sutherland finished either undefeated or with just maybe one or two losses in Youth League men. But um, by the time they got to semifinals, I think they lost three or four players that already had to leave for college and obviously lost in the semifinals, which means they didn't get promoted to D1 Youth League after going so well throughout the regular season. Yeah, that's a real shame. Um... It's kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, you take your chances. Do you still have the college kids come and play, win as many games as you possibly can, but then knowing that when it comes to the crunch of the season and finals time, they're not going to be here? Well, um, I guess it's probably best, best to put yourself in the position rather than never be there in the first place. Yeah, that's exactly right, exactly right. And um, the thing that I'm noticing as well with Youth League, the more games I watch, men and women's comp is that, I really feel for the players who play Youth League and NBL 1 because I feel like it is officiated so differently. So you'll have the kids who are still playing Youth League, getting time in NBL 1 and getting used to the pace and the physicality of NBL 1, go and transfer that back into Youth League and just getting called for every single foul when you know as a player, a coach, a fan, that it's good defense. But in that context of youth league, they're just getting pulled up for too many fouls. And I think that does our players such a disservice. So something's got to be done to bridge that gap, I think. 
Yes, uh, yeah, it's definitely something. I mean, definitely a less physical game, youth league, as you'd expect. But yes. let them play. Let them play. Let, them, let the kids. Let the kids play. Kids play. Sorry, I digress. We went on a bit of a tangent there, but I guess you can count that as gossip uh, <laughs> because we are now up to our news and gossip section of the episode. And the only thing that I really have to offer, Lockie, that I'll rattle off really quickly is that it looks like uh, Brianna Mamoyne from Bruins is injured with a wrist injury. I saw her in the replay on the bench with a wrist guard on her left wrist, so it looks like she's injured. No Michaela Domkins for the Inner West Bulls this weekend, and I'm not too sure why. Um, hopefully she's okay, and hopefully uh, everything's okay off-court and injury-wise as well. Um, as previously mentioned, the COE will have three games next round, one Saturday, one Sunday, and one Tuesday. And the other big news that I have to share is that AJ Lawton, our beloved First ever Crusaders, well, I think first ever, I think first ever import uh, that the Crusaders program have had. He was part of the championship winning team in 2019. He's all he wanted to come back for so long, but as we know, COVID came and stopped the world in its tracks. But AJ is now back. He suited up against Norse in round 10. We love to have him back this time. He's brought his lovely family and his baby. And, uh, yeah, so that is my biggest news of the week. But I imagine, Lockie, that you have a few more aces up your sleeve for our news and gossip section. I got a, I got a couple. Uh, first, I want to mention um, Lucas and Mackenzie Morgan from Norse. Uh, the young boys from the Norse team are both committed to colleges. So Lucas is off to St. Cloud State, which is an NCAA D2 school in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And Mackenzie Morgan will be joining Noah Pagotto at West Texas A&M, which is also the same school that I think I've mentioned before that Bankstown's Hayden Blankley uh, went to. So, yeah, a couple of college signings. And I won't give away a name, but expect to see a fairly sizable new name on the Sutherland roster, Sutherland men's roster, in the coming days or weeks. Interesting, very interesting. Sorry, did you also say that Noah Pagotto is going to the same college as one of the Morgan boys? Yes, yeah, so Noah Pagotto is going to West Texas A&M with Mackenzie Morgan. Excellent. And Sutherland men have some big news to drop, so someone else. They certainly do. Uh, I won't give away any. Although I do want to, and talking of wrist injuries or I did know. I don't know if anything came of it because he played on the rest of the game, but I did notice during the call that Lockie Hutchison was shaking his hand out a bit during the game. So hopefully uh, all's well there. But uh, if anyone wants to take a forensic look at the tape of the Sutherland game, by all means, be my guest. We love, a, we love someone going through things with a fine tooth comb. Hit us up on the East Got Game Instagram account. Um, and have you got any other news? Can you give us a bit of a quick wrap about Michaela Pivic, who was just signed with the Aubrey Wodonga Bandits? Because, as we mentioned, you were the one that kind of let the cat out of the bag on Twitter before the official announcement. So that kind of indicates that you might know a thing or two about Michaela. Uh, yeah, could say I am a fairly sizable Michaela Pivic fan. Um, okay, so Michaela Pivic went to played at Oregon State. Um, Listed at 5'10", but rebounds like she is 6'10". 
uh, actually owns Oregon State's career record for rebounds, despite being 5'10". Um, her list of things she did in her senior year awards is 14 items long. Um, senior class award, first team All-American, um, honorable mention All-American from the Coaches Association, the Associated Press, and the Basketball Writers Association. Pac-12 All-Defense, All-Pac-12 team, was on the ballot for the Wooden Award, um, Cheryl Miller Award Top 10, which I believe is the best small forward in college basketball. Um, Semi-finalist for the Naismith Trophy Defensive Award and um, ended uh, eighth in career scoring at Oregon State and fourth in career assists. So first in rebounds, eighth in scoring, fourth in assists. And academic All American first team, just uh, just for good measure. So Mick, she can absolutely do it all. Um, was in the WNBA, um, I believe. Might have pulled out uh, during the COVID impacted season, so just opted out as a lot of players did. Um, so yes, in 2020 she opted out of the WNBA. She was draft. Uh, she was uh, picked 25th overall uh, by the Atlanta Dream, uh, but is spent. I think spent the last period playing in Spain before she played here. So yeah, certainly a very big signing for Aubrey Wodonga, and certainly gives them a lot of options because she's so versatile and she. Rebounds that well at 5'10 in college and uh, Pac-12 not short of very, very good college players. You know, she's coming up against, you know, Stanford, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado and Utah and USC and Cal. So all names of schools that most people would know and for very good reason. Pac-12, arguably the best women's college basketball conference there is. Um, you know, she could play anywhere from the two to the four for Aubrey Wodonga, depending on how the cards fall for them. Wow. So NBL One East Women's Conference in its two years has seen the likes of Australian Opals and WNBA players, WNBL players. Like this is a pretty serious caliber league that now we've, we're very blessed that we can go down to our local on a weekend and watch people who have been Olympians played at World Cups, played in the WNBA. Like, where else in the world would you be able to do that? Just- I, to think that, yeah, this this is a second this is a second division competition and two years ago it was essentially a third division because it was Waratah League. It was, for all intents and purposes, below NBL1, even if it wasn't officially. And- I was there. I was playing. I can, I can vouch that it was not NBL1 caliber. <laughs> And I mean, and it's teams like Aubrey Wodonga, it's full credit to them because when you have a team that goes and, I mean, they get Lauren Jackson because she it's her hometown, but then they go out and get a unique Thompson. They get an Ayamada. Newcastle, you know, have Nicole Munger. It's when some teams go and get big name players, it forces the other teams to step up. And you see teams like Bankstown in their first season have gone and got Cappy Morrow. 
you know, who was not a big name, but they needed, they went and got imports because they knew they had to get some to compete. And a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, damn right. Um, it's just going to make the league stronger. It means like, um, I mean, even they were saying on the NBL One show last episode how Laura Hodges, also a three-time Olympian, has returned. Imagine being a 17, 18-year-old athlete who has aspirations of playing WNBL and now you get to go to training with an Olympic athlete, with someone, even with someone that's played WNBL. Like it's just going to be for the greater good of the sport and the league and the league, obviously, but the sport in general of having our younger athletes being able to compete with such caliber players. Like, but seriously, like where I would love to know if possible where else in the world you can just go down to your local where for me, I've grown up playing for the, you know, it's been a part of my life for nearly 30 years, this terrible stadium, and now I can go and watch WNBA players and Olympic athletes in the semi-pro league. Like, it's insane. We're so spoiled. It is. It's it, And the difference here is that it is association-based. You know, it, it is the same association that, you know, not just like a representative training program, but local comp as well. It's all the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're so lucky. And I think with that uh, positive note, Let's take a break. Uh, coming around the corner for you on East Scott Game, we're going to have a very special guest, which I'm not too sure has kind of happened very much on a basketball podcast, um, this type of guest. And you understand that when the guest jumps on. But uh, so we're going to have a very special guest, but also stay tuned for our All-Star Fives because uh, we'll be having that at the very end of the show, as well as some of the best games of Rounds 11 to look out for. So... We're going to take a break and we'll be back very soon. And we are back. This week we have a very special guest with us. He is one of the many familiar faces that you've seen across lots of basketball New South Wales competitions and NBL One East. Many of you probably know, but maybe not know too much about. But it's very likely that our guest has attended one of your games in some capacity, whether you've liked it or not. But without them, we wouldn't have games in the first place. So this talented referee on the rise is uh, has been selected recently for lots of MBL One East matches, including the games against Indonesia that were held not too long ago. Um, and I'm sure that they're due to be a regular face of the WNBL and NBL in years to come. So big welcome to Bradley Mattioli. How are you? <laughs> Thank you for the introduction. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Pretty good. Uh, back recording after two weeks break uh, and it is nice to be back. Hey, Lockie? It is wonderful to be back after, yes, two weeks off. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, Brad, thank, do you prefer Brad or Bradley? Do you have a preference? Bradley will be just fine, but I'm flexible. Okay, Bradley. <laughs> we'll stick with Bradley. It's always best to ask, but thanks again That's... for being a guest. Uh it's probably not often that referees uh, uh, get to be guests on basketball podcasts. I think I can only think uh, a few times here or there where I've heard a referee as a guest, unless it is a podcast like I think it's called Behind the Whistle, which is just about referees. Um, mm. But, yeah, so it's great to have you on. And just to start with, let's just tell us about where your journey with basketball and refereeing all started. <sighs> We're going to have to take it back in time a little bit. Um, I have been involved with basketball since I was about eight years old. And I started that in pre or primary school, actually. I stand corrected. And 
like any other kid, uh, was just playing domestic basketball at my local association with my friends from school. My dad was my coach. Um, the ugly singlet outfits and just playing through uh, the years. And I always thought of myself I was going to be a player and wanted to be a player when I was going through my teenage years. And I realized when I was about uh, 16, 17 years old that I was a short Italian white guy and my jumping abilities wasn't the same as some of my counterfeit (laughs) uh, players that I had to compete against. Um, Ironically, some of them are on the NBA One League themselves. And that's when um, refereeing decided to take over. And from then on, it has been one of the best parts of uh, my life and a big part of my journey up until this day. So how long have you been part of like the referee cohort for Basketball New South Wales and for NBL One East or Waratah? I I began refereeing when I was 11 years old and that was domestically as well. Went through the ranks, green shirt, went through black and whites. And I started with BNSW on junior rep games when oh, I was about yeah, 16 as well, about that same time frame, and got to go to junior rep finals, metro finals, state champs. And it was at that moment I realized um, this is actually a lot of fun and I'm very curious to see where this takes me. So after that, and I finished high school, went through national championships and I got onto panel with the Waratah League in 2018. And I have been on the Waratah Championship League since then, when it then turned into NBA One. Uh, two years last year, I've been on the panel since then as well. Awesome. So you've got quite an extensive history with basketball as a whole. Uh, obviously, first starting as a player and sticking with the referees. Now, you did quickly mm. mention there some of the players you grew up playing now play NBL One now. Are there mm. any shout-outs that you want to give or <laughs> should we keep that in the vault? I'm happy to give one shout out just because his buzzer beater was definitely a spectacular one, and that was Will Cranston Lau. I don't think he may remember, but this was back way in uh, high school days. If um, back when I think he was in the country, we had a clash in high school days. Um, so if he if he remembers, kudos to him. But I remember playing against him, and he um, wiped the floor of me <laughs> <laughs> very much so. <laughs> Well, look, to be fair, if you're going to get uh, beaten by anyone, he's probably one of the best players in the league. So that's not a bad thing. I am not complaining. (laughs) I'm just glad there was no film back then. (laughs) So it's not up on YouTube or a highlight reel. (laughs) Well, speaking of of film, the difference in professionalism between what Waratah League was and what NBL1 is where you have video for every game and you have three referees whereas we used to have two for some games um Mm. how has the elevation to nbl1 changed things for referees and i guess referee development in general i would say it's been substantially beneficial for the refereeing fraternities a whole in uh being or in uh nbl1 east multiple factors such as the videoing as you mentioned has been huge because it's been allow us to review our games very easily so we get access to the game film uh, within a few hours after the game's been recorded. And that allows us as a crew also individually that we can review our games, just like the teams would review their own game film as well. And we'll go through everything from 
individual call selections or where we're moving on courts. Um, and then we also use that to then scout for and prepare ourselves for our next um, appointments that we have for next rounds as well. So I think that's been one of the biggest elements. And two, moving from two to three referees, it makes the game so much easier when you have an extra set of eyes because the talent has significantly grown year on year. And with two referees, it just became harder to referee everything with so much happening on court and so much more player freedom and ball movement, so much happening at once. So transitioning from two to three referees has been very significant for us as well, just from making sure the game is as spectacular as it is right now. Because, yeah, I guess um, you mentioned the bit of a gap between, you know, the refereeing having to keep up with the talent of the athletes. What are some of the things you guys do other than looking at film to try and make sure that you're kind of uh, keeping up to date with things and and staying on par with, with the t- talent you have to kind of referee every week? It's a good question. Um, so we do – there are so many different things from – different development pathways depending on where referees are. So just to name a few examples for those that are on the national leagues, um, we will have our own development pathways with other fellow uh, referees that will look over our games for us and provide us guidance. And then we will then provide guidance to younger officials, whether it's within our crews or with uh, development programs that we have. So being in basketball New South Wales, we have uh, advanced referee programs as well as uh, junior development programs that we run and our target with all that is to create a pathway so that kids who are just starting out their journeys or there are 16 18 year olds doing junior rep games and they see us doing these NBL on games that allows them to see there is a journey and a potential and a way for them to join us next to us on the court as well so beyond film, beyond looking at uh, resources out there, um, interpreting with the rule book, et cetera, and just using our resources in the community as a whole, we have multiple ways that we continue to develop our skills and our craft as referees. It sounds similar uh, when you're creating a pathway for players and coaches, creating a pathway for referees as well in parallel, it sounds like. Would I be right in saying that? Absolutely. Um, I know for me, when I was trying to make through the player rankings to try and get to this level, my understanding at the time was junior reps, hopefully get selected when you go to trials for state teams. And then from there, the opportunities uh, to get selected, whether it's a COE program or you get selected to go to college or development programs of NBL teams or NBL1. Uh, we have a similar process with our refereeing as well. Uh, where you start off with juniors and you get identified early to do junior reps and get selection for finals and then the national pathway, so under 14 nationals through to under 20 nationals. Um, And it just gives you exposure to 2PO, 3PO refereeing and refereeing some of the youngest and brightest stars uh, in Australia. And to name a few, I got to referee on some national tournaments I went to uh, Luke Travers at under-18 nationals. My last year at under-20s, I got to referee Dyson Daniels before he went over to the NBA. Um, and if multiple current NBL players or college players as well, um, I got exposure to referee them at a young age before. 
uh, now joining on the NBL one and being on the national panel as well. So the pathways are very similar to what players get to go through, which is an awesome um, thing for us referees. Do you ever have like a bit of a fanboy moment when you're refereeing the likes of Dyson Daniels and such? And like, do you have to try and stay composed and not get too caught up in the <laughs> excitement of it all? Um, I don't know what it'd be like for other referees, but for me personally, um, because I guess they're so young, I don't see them as um, they're they're not very much as well known as they are now. I you just hear about them, you're like, yeah, they're the best player here. They've got crazy talent. Um, but for me as a referee, because I'm so focused on the game and like, the job I have to do, um, it, w- it won't be till after the game when I watch back and I appreciate like I, um, seeing an alley-oop dunk in front of my eyes or an incredible play or step back into a jump shot. And then that's when I will appreciate those moments. Where I'm like, that just happened right in front of me. Um, <laughs> and I have, the, I have one of the best seats in the house to watch that happen. I think Squin and I have a similar story. When we were commentating NBL One East Women's Grand Final, the commentary bench was right next to Albury's bench. So we're trying to call the play and Lauren Jackson is standing there ready to check in, literally blocking our view. And we're just like, okay, this is happening. Yeah, it was yeah. wild. Like it's uh, and you, it's one of those moments where you kind of have to keep like weirdly staring because you're like, are they... Right there, like, am I seeing this right? Like, you're so used to seeing people that you know so well in media and being fans of and idolise on TV screens and stuff, and then you're right next to you, you're like, oh, no, yeah, no, this is happening. They're right there. Now that you remind me, I will admit Lauren Jackson was the one player where when I refereed her last year for the first time with Albury, um, I had that moment when she came up and talked to me to question the call, and I was like, Okay, I just talked to the goat of Australian basketball. Awesome. <laughs> and she came to speak to me. I didn't even have to go to her. <laughs> uh, that was definitely one of those, um, I'll admit, that was definitely one of the moments. <laughs> and uh, so you mentioned, you know, great referee development pathway. And Lockie, you have uh, got a great question for Brad in relation to expansion as well. If you yeah, so... his way. Yeah, so I was just thinking, as we've gone from two referees to three referees for every game, and we've also gone from 10 to 12 to 16 teams, is there a need for the pool for NBL One East referees to expand? And I guess what is the development pathway, you know, focused on that? That's that's a good question. Uh, So... In terms of the three moving from two to three PO refereeing, I don't exactly remember when the transition was made. I think that was definitely for when I joined the Waratah League slash MBL One East League uh, back in 2018. We were already doing three PO, so I know the transition occurred prior to when I joined, and the development to help us get progress from beginners to advanced officiating skills has has been there to allow us to continue to grow. So for me, I would have been a junior and my biggest responsibility was just to look after what was in front of me to now I would, I'm would i helping the others and trying to be um, a mentor for those referees who are in the same position as me coming through the ranks now. And it's, I would say 
In terms of the uh, referee expansion question, um, actually, I've never really thought about that, so that's a good question. I don't believe that we need more referees um, per se, but that I agree that if more teams continue to come into the league, we will need more referees to ensure that um, referees who are on panel at the moment aren't doing so many games across the weekend. Because some referees, myself included, we might have two or three games in two days. And if you add that up over the course of 18 weeks of the season, it can just be a physical and mental toll uh, for all of us. So as the game continues to grow, if the teams also continue to expand, then without a doubt, we will continue to work on uh, recruiting and developing young uh, referees so that we can actually look after the games appropriately and not experience burnout. Per se. So, yeah, you mentioned you did Saturday and then obviously you're down at Sutherland on Sunday. So how many games did mm. you do this past weekend? I had three games. One on Saturday afternoon and then, yes, I was at Sutherland with you uh, for the men's and women's games. Wow, that's a lot in the sense that you, not only you, you know, similar to the players and coaches, you've got to travel as well. If you've got a double header or a triple header in a weekend, you've still got to add the uh, fatigue of traveling. And then, but I imagine by the time you get to the third game of refereeing, the physicality is one thing, having to keep up with the pace of play. But I would imagine mentally you'd be so fatigued by game three, right? Oh, <laughs> it definitely can be. And I think that's one of the biggest things um, a lot of people don't see or it potentially is a pre-misconception of referees just rock up and referee. Uh, with the amount of games that we do, uh, teaching uh, referees about uh, their fitness levels and ensuring that they're physically fit and capable to do just one game, but let alone multiple games across the weekend and strategies and tactics to uh, make sure that we are mentally fresh and not experiencing that burnout because the mental factor can be massive in our decision-making and accuracy in our call selections for across the game 100 yeah. percent. and even the simple things of for myself traveling to maitland is about two and a half hour drive to then referee one or potentially two games um it's definitely um there's more to it than just rocking up and refereeing a game of basketball that's for sure <laughs> yeah and uh i think um if you're able to it sounds like there's a level of mental fitness as well you know as you get older as a player, it more and more becomes a mental game, whether it's outsmarting your opponent, staying mentally tough, all that kind of thing. But um, for yourself as a referee, how do you prepare to be mentally fit to referee that many games in a weekend? And are you able to share some of the strategies that you use to keep yourself focused? So the biggest thing for a referee is our overall fitness, which is the same for players. Um, I work in actually health and fitness, so I help a lot of referees in New South Wales uh, with this element. And studies pretty much show that your uh, our mental capacity and our decision making can be more accurate with the greater fitness that we are. Uh, there are plenty of studies which correlate to that. So one of the biggest elements is that we do is we're all training regularly throughout the week. We do strength training uh, in a gym. Every referee is very different with how they train, but all the referees do some form of strength and conditioning training to keep themselves physically fit uh, for the games because then that also has a correlation with our mental uh, fitness as well. So that's one of the biggest elements. And I think the next element is teaching the importance of sleep uh, because that also has a massive 
affect with how we can perform on game day. Um, even simple things such as water intake. If you are dehydrated, our mental capacity can drop by 5 to 10%, which can then have a massive impact over the course of not, uh, for the 40 minutes of the game. So what I try, what I've learned myself and now I try and teach others, uh, other referees is all those little elements that can have a huge impact for us in our performance. Yeah, are you having getting your electrolytes in, having your pregame meal, having your snack in between? It's, it's exactly like how a player should be preparing for game day. Pretty much. We're very much the same. Um, one of the biggest things that we've been trying to create in our community is that we are athletes as well, just like the players are. Um, and that's been one of the biggest things that we've been trying to uh instill in the minds of all uh, all the referees is that when if the referees oh sorry the players training and they're dedicating themselves to their games uh we can do the same and we should be doing the same that's awesome hopefully lots of athletes in nbl1 east will now listen to this interview and uh gain a little bit more insight into what it's like for you guys absolutely and um, you mentioned, you know, you do obviously a little bit of mentoring and you also touched on some of the ways that you can mentor some upcoming referees, you know, off court too. But what does the mentoring kind of look like uh, in someone with your experience and your position now? And uh, do you feel like it keeps you more accountable when you're in that position of mentoring younger referees? 100% it does. Um, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to um, being given multiple opportunities across my journey. Uh, and with all those opportunities, I've gained so much insight and so much knowledge, um, from all of that. So being able to go to different national championships and now getting exposure into the national leagues, uh, being on WMBL and recently just becoming a development with the MBL. So, Having so much wealth of knowledge and access to all these referees, I really want to try and help younger referees um, give them some knowledge and insight so they can fulfill their dreams and be able to experience a journey similar to what I've been able to uh, experience myself. So one of the best ways I do that is through our ARP program. So we have 21 referees on the program and I am the uh, manager that looks after all of them. So take them through all different elements from refereeing craft to then our health and fitness and not going into details of how the program works, but teaching them and elements of the refereeing craft, whether it's our call selection. So we do game reviews together and clip reviews or going through where we are standing on court and our mechanics so that can help our decision-making and then teaching them basic elements of how to go to a gym and do strength and conditioning or how to train so we don't get injured um, and how do we stay fit across a season of eight, uh, 18 weeks plus finals, um, how do we eat properly, uh, teaching them a lot of those aspects that I did not have access to when I was younger and I had to learn on my own. Uh, though it's been one of the really awesome uh things I get to do currently this year, which I really, um, really do enjoy getting to teach the little ones. <laughs> we'll call them little ones. 
So you're now a you said development for MBL. Um, mm. are you, what are your future aspirations as a referee? And I guess do you also have with all the work you're doing at the moment? Is there any aspirations to be a referee educator in general? So in terms of my future aspirations, one of my biggest goals is to acquire my FIBA badge. So hopefully in the next couple of years, um, selection for MBL um, and be fully enlisted onto the panel. And then from there, work towards getting my FIBA as one of my biggest goals uh, I would love to do is to just go travel the world uh, and go to a FIBA international tournament. Um, any tournament would be amazing. The ultimate dream is either the World Cup or um, the Olympics. Uh, that would be an absolute dream of mine, which I'm trying to, which I'm working towards. So that's definitely like a five, 10 year plan. <laughs> and I 100% love the idea of being a, uh, an educator during that journey as well. Uh, working in health and fitness, I very much uh, am a coach for a living and I get a great kick and a massive enjoyment in helping other referees to develop themselves and seeing them have success uh, definitely just makes me happy and gives me a smile. So, yeah, I guess... Oh, you, I, go, um, you go lucky. Was that sorry? You go lucky, sorry. Uh, I was saying, um, I, I just remember I had someone say, if you're a coach, you can coach 30 people. If you're a coach educator, you can coach 30 people who each can coach 30 people. I guess for you, it's the same. You can referee three games a week or you can teach 20 people who can each ref 30 games a week or three games a week. And that's, you know, 60 games a week. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I love that, actually. That's a really cool quote. And that's what we're trying to do is to educate as many of our younger referees uh, to hopefully get them onto MBL1 soon. Uh, an interesting stat, I think the official number is we've had 11 uh, new referees have their first MBL1 games this season so far, which has been really awesome to see uh, for them, particularly for myself, seeing them when they first started refereeing on the 12s or on the 14 junior reps, and now they're joining me on court with the MBL1 games has been quite an awesome experience. That's uh yeah, that's really really cool that we've had eleven debuts. I feel like it's something that we should start celebrating as well a little bit more often. Just as much as we, you know, I'm going to keep referring to this, but just as much as we keep celebrating, you know, uh, someone from youth league making their MBL one debut like on court or a new coach or something. Um, there's definitely space to start celebrating those things like a referee making the MBL one debut because it's still, as you said in the pathway of their development, right? I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I know that has started to become a little bit of a trend, which I love to see. And for me, um, I do think the biggest uh, way it started is probably through the NBA where you're starting to see so many of those referee pages and social media come out. So you're seeing the faces of the referees and like who's doing games and getting selected onto panel and, that has slowly started to filter into elsewhere. So seeing videos on Euro League referees and now the NBL's um, uh, starting to be more notice of referees as well here in Australia. So I um, very much agree. Like I would love to be able to see more of um, recognition for referees. 
That'd maybe, be awesome. Maybe you can start the trend. You can start the trend. And <laughs> there, there is that. There is that podcast called uh, Behind the Whistle, which is about basketball referees. And in a recent post on their Instagram, your mate. I, I only laugh because because I'm laughing at myself saying your mate, but um, <laughs> your mate Michael Beavers has been oh, yeah. uh, tagged in the post for having 99 whistles at 22,000 a game. Now I'm not too sure why. Um, that matters like why like you know we're all especially you know me and Lockie we love we love some stats we love getting analytical I just thought it was really interesting that there was this post comparing three different referees in NBL one north one being your mate Michael Beavers with 99 whistles (laughs) and they put in quotes a world record um why does that matter why does the number of whistles matter I do not know the context behind that post, <laughs> so I will not comment. <laughs> um, I will need to find that post and <laughs> before I say anything else. <laughs> I will send it to you personally because I saw it and I thought it was a little bit funny. And I also didn't realise that Michael Beavers was in North because I saw him doing WNBL for Sydney not too long ago and I was like, he's obviously not refereeing at Terrigal, but he's not refereeing. East at all, so that makes sense. Um, actually, I'll, I will I will happily mention to him. Um, we so he is still part of East amongst myself and a few of us on our national panel. We get the very awesome opportunities to get to travel to different uh, states to referee as well. So I've been very fortunate. Um, I got the opportunity to go down to NBL One South a few weeks ago to referee down there, and. I will be, uh, I've got more travels in the pipeline coming up as well to other states, uh, hopefully. So where um, that's one of the biggest uh, benefits of some of these opportunities I've been given is to referee beyond NBL and East and get to experience some of the other leagues as well. Oh, that uh, makes sense. Like, because I noticed mm. you went to Melbourne recently. So that's really cool that you got to go and referee in South. So how mm. does South compare to East? Um, well, it's definitely a lot colder down there. That's oh, the first well, that's thing I can have to mention. <laughs> so, no, thank you. Queensland next time, thank you. I'll take east or um, north any day of the week when it comes to weather perspective. Um, but in terms of the game quality itself, um, it's very – I mean, the biggest thing would say is just the – in terms of the style of play, uh, in this, the two games I had down south, there was a lot more of a flow – uh, to it, so a lot more just free flowing offense, and it changed the way I had to see and referee the game because the way they were playing down there, it was a lot less. Um, you'd have a lot less fouls, but you had a lot more decisions in terms of, all right, does this play have an effect, uh, or if it's a legal contact and it has an effect on the play or not? Versus here in East, there's a lot more structure to it, but there's a lot more physicality particularly uh, with off-balls. So we need to ensure that we, um, with all of the action that happens off-ball, uh, that we are able to maintain that the game's played in the correct way. So I find that the physicality here in East uh, is a lot more noticeable and therefore we have a lot more foul selections versus where in South, the it's very much a different style where a lot more flow can occur. So it was very, for me, I think the biggest way it was evident with 
there's just so many more of the open jump shots that we have. A lot more threes uh, for the two games. Very small sample size, but the two games I had down south, there were so much more uh, shots being created on the outside versus I feel like here in east, uh, you have a lot more shots. You have shots from the outside, but there's so much more action inside the keyway. So where I would how I prepare myself, how I referee the game and what I'm looking and seeing is very different between the two states. So you mentioned the uh, Lauren Jackson moment earlier, but um, yes. what is what is your actual most memorable moment as a referee to this point? Um... I would definitely have to say, um, so I ha- I'll have to say there's a couple. I can't, I don't think I could pick one. Um, and I guess they all just have subtly unique, uh, uh, meaning to it. So the first one for me was my first ever tournament. Um, I went away for outside of New South Wales. I got to go to, uh, country cup down in Albury in 2015 and just doing my first game down there with someone I've never met before from a different state, um, refereeing a team from a different, from Victoria. And that whole experience was just one of the most memorable moments for me. Um, as it felt like to me, it was my first big taste of something beyond junior reps. So that was definitely a significant moment, uh, in my journey for me, uh, two other moments, include uh, under-18 nationals that I got to attend in 2018. I got to referee the gold men's game and had so much talent with, um, um, I won't be able to remember the names off the top of my head, but we had about three or so development uh, NBL referee, uh, NBL players, my, I stand corrected, NBL players from Queensland playing up against Western Australia, which had... Uh, Luke Travers, uh, uh, Jackson, I think his um, name was. He's moved down to play for AFL and a swack of the book. They had about three or four NBL players as well, future NBL players. And everyone that played in a tournament were in the grandstands in Geelong. So it was about four or 500 people packed out watching this on the 18 men's game. And for me, that was one of my most surreal, oh, my God, I'm actually a part of this moment. <laughs> it was definitely one of the best experiences. And the last one, because of the unique circumstance that it was, was my first ever WNBL game because that was in the first, uh, it was during the lockdown season and it was the Flames' first home game. Also, one of the early uh, games for the Flames just coming out of the second lockdown. So we had no crowd. We had limited to like 30, 50 people and it it wasn't the typical experience because of all the COVID protocols, but it just created one very memorable moment of a small crowd for a w, for my first WNBL game. But it was one of the just most awesome experiences for me. I can't nail it. Oh, sorry, look, I can't nail it down to one though. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, that's like trying to ask me my favorite player. Be here all night. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or, or Lockie, what your favorite jersey is as well. Yeah, that's just impossible. That's impossible. Even just basketball jersey, that would be hard. I'm guessing I shouldn't ask that question then. Whilst we get a bit off topic. No, that's that's a whole other episode, I think, Bradley. Oh, God. Locking's jersey collection. Yeah, I've got a few. I have a few as well. Don't worry. 
<laughs> what uh, what jerseys do you have that are hanging up in your wardrobe? Like, are they local or are they NBA? Um, one local one for me is my last playing jersey with my high school. So I went to St. Pius and Chatswood. Now I got to play in the first event, so I have that jersey hanging up. And two of my favorite NBA jerseys I also have is um, classic Kobe Bryant twenty four. He was always my idol as a, when I was younger as a player. I loved Kobe to death. And then not so much due to the player, but more so due to just how cool the jersey is, is a, oh, it was a retro Dikembe Mutombo Atlanta Hawks jersey when you got the old, with the old Eagle Hawk on the front. Oh, wow. I wow. found that in America <laughs> and I fell in love with it. <laughs> Understandably, too. Wow, how long have you had that? <laughs> that was that's definitely a jersey I rep a lot during the summer. <laughs> you should have bought two in case you wreck the first one and you've got a backup. <laughs> I did not think of that. I, I, I feel like Lockie's a bigger diehard jersey fan, so you might have to teach me a few things to look after it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no. YOLO when it comes to jerseys, unless they're very special. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've talked about your lot, your extensive uh, career and involvement with NBL One East and alike as a referee. But who is Bradley Mattioli when he's not refereeing? <laughs> uh, best way I can describe it is I am just a friendly, uh, friendly, happy guy all the time. One of the biggest things in, uh, from um, a lot of people I got to hang around with, particularly working in health and fitness is I am a coach that never stops smiling. And I feel like that's a nice way that describes me off the court. Um, just always a happy guy um, that tries to live in the moment and also just always wants to help people. So it's part of my journey um, being when I was younger, a little bit overweight and then facing a lot of mental battles and a little bit of bullying uh, over the years, that has massively influenced the direction of where I wanted to, what I want to do with my uh, career, which is helping, helping others with the same thing. So I uh, have my own online business, which I run and I try and help referees as well as just uh, young uh, people in their 20s with their uh, fitness level, fitness and uh, mental uh, their mindset, I should say, not mental mindset. So that's very much me outside of the refereeing world. That sounds really positive. How long have you been doing that for? Just over a year now. So I used to be an accountant working, um, got a degree from Macquarie Uni and I was working in the accounting world until I realized that this path, this journey was not for me. And that was right before COVID when I, um, I left that uh, left that lifestyle, working the six to eight in the city, and picked up uh, working in the fitness world. And my passion has been with CrossFit, so was very much working in gyms until COVID hit, and not being able to work in the gyms and not being able to do anything during those lockdown periods made me realize there has got to be another way I can help people besides gym life, and that's when the internet and the online world um i discovered it and it's taken off for me ever since then 
That's awesome. Well done. And uh, do you currently still work in a CrossFit gym now or is it all purely online? Like you can use this opportunity to give your business a plug, by the way. Like, <laughs> 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 you have creative control. We don't have no sponsors. exclusivity. You give your business a plug. Oh, you're too kind. Um, yeah, so I, my... My business is literally my name, Bradley Mattioli Coaching or Brad Matt Coach as on most of my social media platforms. I do work for a few other uh, CrossFit gyms who I very much love dearly, uh, one being CrossFit Wellbeing and CrossFit Chatswood. So very much work in the heart of Sydney and you can find me and um, my message across all of them, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or YouTube, slowly just building myself up and... Um, the information and services they have across all those platforms. Brad, my coach. And then do you get between uh, all of your refereeing and referee development and your Brad, Matt coach stuff, do you have much other downtime, you know, just to chill out for a little bit? Like, you know, do you paint by numbers? Do you watch movies in your spare time? What's the downtime? <laughs> There's got to be time to like wind down as well. Couldn't agree more. Um, we were speaking of the topic for about uh, mental capacity. I think having downtime away from basketball is absolutely one of the best ways um, during off season that the referees can do to reset themselves. So like I'm a very active outgoing guy. Um, I describe myself as an extrovert. So I love to go out and do adventurous activities, whether it's going for hikes or um, very much my family and I, we're very big into water skiing. So we love to go to the, um, Love to go on the water with our boat during the summer and tear stuff up, which is awesome with uh, whether it's my family or friends. Um, I very much am the type of guy that can't sit down. So my mental <laughs> my mental reset is coming from doing other activities that involve anything outside of basketball, I could say. <laughs> and Lockie, you are uh, no, this is probably the only other water skier. Like, Lockie's the one water skier guy that I actually know. And now Bradley is the second water skier guy. So, really, Lockie. Yeah, my, my family's massively into water skiing. I'm not as much, but my dad was a um, multiple national champion as the driver for the crew, for a crew. Oh, no way. Did, is, in, in ski racing. Are you bridge to bridge? Yeah, bridge to bridge, yeah. Um, holds the 0 to 140 horsepower record for bridge to bridge. That is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> I got a hunch not many people might know what that is, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so if, oh. I, if Bradley, if we identify some young people, whether they're referees or not, that may benefit uh, from some Brad Matt coaching, what's the best way to refer them to your service? Is it through your social media accounts? Yes. Um my social media accounts or via my website, bradmaccoach.com. And what's and that? you will find all the links to all the different services I have I have available. Awesome. And do you primarily work with people in their early twenties? Because you know, people like us in their thirties need help too sometimes. <laughs> uh, I help people of and when it comes to uh, coaching um, from a fitness perspective, I help co- I help people of all ages. Um, I have experience, um, thanks to my CrossFit, uh, coaching, I've helped people be able to squat and get up and down stairs or sit up off the couch for people up into their seventies. 
um, as well as helping everyone mid thirties or forties from just facing basic uh, issues, whether it's recovering from injuries, wanting to play domestically for sports or basketball. Um, I have experience in all those worlds. So I can help anyone um, from all ages, uh, but because um, I'm just in my mid-20s myself, I also try to help people similar to my age. Lived experience goes a long way. So very Mm -hmm. excited for your new business adventure and we'll definitely keep it in mind for people that we think will be suitable for your program we'll send them send them your links but um (laughs) just the last question this is a bit of a curveball question I like to sometimes ask people whether it's on Scott game or shooting the breeze but what Mm. is the biggest misconception about Bradley Mattioli (laughs) something that people often be like oh yeah Bradley's like this and you're like no I'm not actually at all you've completely completely misread that Oh, you have put me on the spot just in time. <laughs> we can circle back. Um, we can circle back. <laughs> that's really that's an interesting one. Um, no, I think we might have to circle back. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. That's totally the only one that comes to mind is you can probably appreciate it. I have. Um, I would not ever call myself the Godfather. <laughs> So for the listeners out there, I was doing a game up at Central Coast where Jacinta and her fellow commentator, um, yeah, (laughs) they were commentating my game and they were announcing the referees for the game. And then I got a shout, uh, oh, Bradley, the Godfather. And let's just say that has definitely rung. um, I have definitely heard it from my fellow compatriots and I've been having a lot of Godfather memes as a result of that. Yeah, so glad that we are making such a positive impact on the league with our <laughs> nicknames this season. <laughs> we'll have to come up with more for the, your fellow referees because we've got plenty of player nicknames, but we need to come up with more. But you know what? I feel like mm. that between the likes of yourself mm. and Andrew and Crystal, who are some of our favourite referees to work with on game day, uh, it makes that kind of rapport building and nickname giving a bit easier. Whereas sometimes uh, I've met other referees this season who are a little bit more reserved and we mm-hmm. don't have that interaction. So um, we don't have that build that like opportunity or relationship to throw out nicknames like the Godfather. So um, I'm personally a big fan of nicknames. I'll happily say that um, <laughs> for me, the one, the biggest one that I've always known has been uh good old Razor Ray in AFL uh, refereeing world. And whenever you hear the term uh, Razor on the field, you just know who that person is. Um, so I've always been a big fan of <laughs> nicknames. And then thanks to you guys, and now I know Garen and James were uh, on Norse Basketball with their uh, with their commentary um, throughout a, um, a few nicknames against me as well. <laughs> So if you give nicknames to other referees, um, so it's not just me, I will happily appreciate that. (laughs) All right, we'll we'll start working on it. Hey, Lockie. I think we will, definitely. (laughs) 
Well, stick uh, around, Bradley, because we're just about to finish our Escott game episode. Uh, we're going to round it off with our All-Star 5 for round 10. And now I feel like I've been talking a bit too much, so I'm going to throw straight to Lockie to give ooh. us the men's uh, All-Star 5 for round 10 up first. So take it away, Lockie. All right. Well, I just want to throw out a couple of honourable mentions. Um Noel Pagotto had big 29 and 16 against Comets and then uh, well with 13 and 5 against COE. Uh, Pat Fraser, 29 and 4 against Maitland and he had 18 and 3 against COE. And then in the dead set unlucky stakes, uh, Will Cranston Lown with 19 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists and 2 steals. And the game winner... The buzzer beater against Hornsby and 20 points, three rebounds, six assists and two steals against Albury Wodonga. But with 13 games, there were a list as long as your arm of players that you could uh, have named this week. But we'll kick it off with Ben Henshaw from the Centre of Excellence leading his team to a 106-100 win with 34 points, six rebounds, seven assists and three steals against Illawarra. And followed it up with, uh, and also had 16 points against Hornsby earlier in the weekend. Uh, in that very same game, the Illawarra Centre of Excellence game, Timmy Conrad turning back the clock with 35 points, nine rebounds, and five assists against COE. He also had 14 points, four rebounds, and three assists in a win over Comets. Uh, Lachlan Hutchison from Sutherland had 22 points in both games this weekend. Also had seven rebounds, five assists, and a steal against Hills, and nine rebounds, six assists, and five steals against Comets as Sutherland launched two fourth-quarter comebacks. Big Glenn Morrison, the Brindabella Beacon from Canberra, 33 points and nine rebounds in a massive win for the Canberra Gunners. That is absolutely huge for their season. And then... The man who got it done in a big way on two occasions this weekend, Miles Cherry from Newcastle, 27 points and 20 rebounds against Bankstown. Just an easy 25 points and 16 rebounds against the Albury Wodonga Bandits. But, of course, as always, we will have the top scorers, top rebounders, top assists um, up on the socials. Can I share a quick fun fact about... Uh... Miles Cherry. Yes, go for it. Oh, actually, I may have accidentally deleted it after I did a NBL One show today. But essentially, I don't have the numbers now off the top of my head. But I think he shot from memory about 189 shots this season, and he's only taken 11 shots of that 189 outside the key. <laughs> that is impressive. Everything that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Every eleven shots. And when they played Crusaders just two weeks ago, it was only six. Six shots outside the key going into that round eight game. Like the guy I mean, look, he knows what he's good at and he sticks to it and he is very good at it. So no judgment at all. Stick to your bread and butter. It's obviously working for him if he keeps averaging a double double and isn't he like leading rebounds in the league now? He'd have to be close to it if he's not. Between him and Beastie and I've gone off my memory now. I've been out of it too too many weeks. I can't remember. Uh, the other name I could think of is Lewis Holy. Lewis Holy does still have the lead. So yeah. Holy's top, then Cherry, yeah. Morrison, and Beastie is fourth. 
far out. Imagine playing jungle ball with those three at a practice session. <laughs> Do you guys uh, know what that drill is? I'll tell you off air. Anyway. <laughs> you might have to. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I was tasked with the women's uh, all-star five. So some usual suspects this week for round 10. So uh, starting with Violet Capri Morrow from Bankstown, she had 35 points and 10 rebounds with four steals versus Newcastle. And uh, to be honest, Considering Newcastle, I think, are the second uh, most efficient defensive team at the moment, that's a pretty good effort to have 35 and 10. Uh, and then I also had Lizzie Tonks this uh, for this round. She had 31 points and six assists against Inner West Bulls, shooting at a very good 63%. And then I also had Emma Mahardy from the Bandits, who had 27 points and five rebounds versus, a, again, a very good Newcastle team. And she averaged 23.5 points and 5.5 rebounds for the entire round. And then the final two, our resident Opals of NBL One East. We have Shyla Hill, who had 41 points and seven assists at 50% against Sutherland Sharks. And for the round 10, she averaged 34 points and 8.5 rebounds. And finally, we have Loz Nicholson, who was just doing absolutely everything this weekend. She had 43 points versus Comets, shooting at 65%. None of them were three-pointers. So all of them were awesome two-pointers, whether in the paint or uh, off a pick and roll. But she also had a 17 from 19 from the free-throw line. And they're the types of free-throw stats that I like very much. But on the Saturday, she had a triple-double against the Hills Hornets with 22 points. 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and four steals just for good measure. So that was my very, very good all-star five for round 10. Any thoughts or feelings of our all-star five for round 10, Bradley Mattioli? <laughs> I can't complain with the list. Um, some of those names, like just hearing Miles Cherry on the 20 and 20, that is impressive. Mm. And on the women's side, I was very fortunate to be on um, that Comets versus Sutherland women's game. So watching uh, Shyla and uh, Lauren uh, battle it out, uh, getting to reflect on that after, that was quite an awesome game to be a part of, both of them in the 40s. <laughs> they played very well. We were just saying as well when we recorded the first half of this episode how lucky we are mm. to see, go down to our local and see this talent like every week. Like where else in the world does that happen? <laughs> Not too often. <laughs> it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Too often. Um, I've, I felt very um, being able to be assigned to that game and the way it, and it lived up for both all four um, of the WML players that were playing, Vanessa, uh, Fabro, Shyla, and Lauren all been playing very well, and plus some of the other extras um, that filled in big roles as well. That was just an awesome game of basketball. Awesome! So catch it all on the MBL One app uh, on your phone or on your desktop or your laptop or your tablet or wherever else you can access the internet and that Apple website. But otherwise, that is uh, us for this week. Lockie and Bradley, thank you very much for joining us again, Bradley, to being a guest. And uh, 
Lockie, I feel like we have redeemed ourselves for taking two weeks off. I certainly think we have. Yes, <laughs> Quinn, certainly. Hopefully uh, some of the people who have been suffering without us for the last two weeks um, will get their fill with our uh, giant episode for round 10. But it was a giant round, so it deserves a giant episode. But, it's yeah, a- thanks again, Bradley, for joining us and giving us the insights, and we're looking forward to where your career takes us for where your career takes you not us because we're not the referees but uh it would be cool <laughs> if you could uh be uh get let, let's aim you said five ten years let's aim for three mm. love to see you at the women's world cup in germany in three years time let's aim for that all right that's the we're putting that on uh, the board <laughs> i'm gonna put it out right on my big what big whiteboard at home i'll do that excellent <laughs> But thank you very much for having me. I'll I'll have been listening to your guys' podcast since um, you guys first came out. It's been awesome. Uh, So keep up the good work. Awesome. Thanks heaps for listening. Thanks for the support. And uh, everyone else, we will catch you next week to cover round 11. But otherwise, it is bye for now.